0: life audio. Hey there, friend, Heather Creekmore here. Are you signed up for the Body Image Freedom Framework course and coaching program yet? If not, like today is the day. We start groups next week. The course officially opens today. So sign up to be part. It's not too late. You can still join us. And I hope that you will, because I want to see you get free. So today we're talking about stolen identity. Now, if someone stole your wallet or your passwords (laughs) or your identity, your Facebook profile, your Instagram profile, you would be pretty frustrated, right? You would want to get it back right away. You would want to clear it up and make sure that this person who is falsely using your name or your bank account uh, is prosecuted or has gets what's coming to him, right? But the enemy steals our identity all the time, or at least he tries to. And we've been talking about spiritual warfare, and today I want to just take it one more step further. And we're going to talk about the ways the enemy tries to steal our identity in Christ, how he does that and how this affects our body image and all the stuff that we hear in culture, how this is confusing our identity and confusing really who we really are in Christ. So I'm glad you're here. I hope you're ready for it. This is going to be another one where you're going to want to put your seatbelt on, but I'm excited about where we're going. And hey, I'd love to hear from you. If this is touching you, drop me an email, Heather at ComparedTo.me. Show up in our Facebook community, Body Image Help for Christian Women, and write your thoughts there. Or hey, if you're part of coaching and taking the online course, show up in our new community just for coaching and course clients and bring your thoughts there. I want to hear how this series is impacting you. And Hey, leave a review. Tell everyone, tell the world if this is making a difference in your life. Okay, let's get to it. Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, compare to who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here, the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone. You've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. So we live in confusing times, right? I mean, just on the outside looking in, you might say our culture has gone mad. There are things that we are talking about and doing as a culture right now that I would say 20, 30 years ago or when I was a teenager or a child, like these things would have been inconceivable. And yet, here we are. Now, I'm encouraged by scripture because I think what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes is true, that there is nothing new under the sun, and just when i think everything is out of control and you know things couldn't get any worse in, in certain areas i think back to like old testament where there's child sacrifice and all kinds of crazy worship rituals y'all things have been pretty bad before and so i guess relatively <laughs> we're not there yet but yikes right? It makes it hard in a world gone mad to stick to the truth, to rightly hear the truth, to see the truth as the truth. Because our culture, the worldview of culture is is sort of relativistic at best, right? There is no absolute truth. Truth is whatever you believe. It's my truth. It's your truth. I do a whole section in the body image course, on my truth and how that has fooled so many of us. And I'm not even talking about those people that you're thinking about when we say my truth. I'm talking about all of us, right? To some degree, we're all a little guilty of interpreting our world, our events, our health, our weight loss journey, our body image issues, I could go on, through the lens of our own truth instead of through the lens of scripture. Culture has taught us to read the Bible through the lens of culture. And instead, we need to look at culture through the lens of the word of God. And so today we're going to talk about a couple hot topics. Now I try to stay far away from anything political or controversial because I don't want to distract you from the issues we're really trying to address on this show, which are body image issues. But I'm going to say some words today that are going to maybe conjure up some images of other things and thoughts of of more political things, and that's fine if they do. But here are the context in which I am speaking of them, okay? <laughs> Don't get mad at me. I'm not trying to be political here. The first thing we're going to talk about, though, is this concept of body pride. Now, body pride is not a new concept, okay? This has been around for a while. In fact, fat activism and like fat positivity was actually the precursor to the body positivity movement. So there were pro-fat parades in San Francisco, long before there were any other kind of pride parades. So in a lot of ways, this body positivity movement, which a lot of Christians have glommed onto and just kind of accepted as like, well, I'm a Christian, so of course I should be positive about my body. I don't want to be negative about my body. But it's so insidious. Friends, it's so sneaky, but body positivity is really about body pride. Taking pride in the physical body you have and glorifying it. Right? And 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 the interesting thing about body positivity and I think why so many people were attracted to it and drawn to it is because it's very accepting and welcoming. Right? Like when culture is telling you you can't have cellulite on your thighs, body positivity is telling you Everyone has cellulite on their thighs. Be proud of your cellulite on your thighs. Flaunt the cellulite on your thighs. You don't have to hide your cellulite-covered thighs. Just be out there with them. And so that's welcoming, right? Like, okay, wow, finally, someone gets it. I'm not alone. I don't have to buy all the creams and hide. But friend, it it puts the focus, it, put, it puts the wrong emphasis out there. What's that saying to put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. I think that's from Father of the Bride. That's kind of what it does. It puts a focus on me and my body and that's what's important and that's what I love. And God doesn't call us to that. Like search your Bible and you will not find a single verse about loving cellulite. I promise you, right? Our goal as as humans, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ is to bring glory to God, to know God and to make him known. Not to love cellulite, okay? You don't have to love cellulite. I think that should be a very freeing message. You have to love Jesus, you have to love others, but you don't have to love cellulite. Woohoo. So body positivity takes something like our bodies which God made good, Right. God created our bodies. And like we said, the Satan likes like God is a creator. Satan is a counterfeiter. So God created our bodies and made them good. And body positivity takes this message and counterfeits it where it's your body is not just good. Your body is the ultimate thing. Your body is what you should take pride in. Your body is created for your glory which is not what the Bible says. The Bible teaches that our bodies were created for God's glory. And so the pride movements around that focus on glorifying maybe your sexuality choices, glorifying your body, maybe even glorifying a gender or any other identity. But remember, these are ways that the enemy is trying to steal our true identity, right? Your sexuality was never intended to be your identity. Like this is the first time in history where people identify as who they sleep with. It doesn't make any sense. That's not your identity. It's not in your driver's license, right? Your identity has never been that. And as a believer, my identity is in Christ. My identity as is as his daughter, as his follower, as his adopted heir, not as all these other cultural things, nuanced things. Okay, so, so let's just go back, though, just for a second to this concept of pride. We're going to dig into that right after this break. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410.
1: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
0: Now, remember when we talked about Lucifer, the most beautiful of all the angels who fell? He didn't actually fall. He was kicked out of heaven with legions of demons. Right, Because of his pride, he decided that he didn't want to obey God anymore, that he was his own God, or could be his own God, and fought that battle and lost it, but then became prince of the earth, right? So he tries to rule here and wants to not just rule everything around us, but actually wants to rule you and I, that he is actively trying to steal our identities as Christ followers and instead change us into culture followers, or really Satan followers. That that sounds so severe in our culture, right? Like, I'm not going to be a Satanist. Yeah, There's only two teams, right? So you're either following Jesus, or you're not, and there's no like passive middle. Okay, so ouch, that's uncomfortable. But so let's just talk about pride a little bit more. Pride has become this cultural sensation that to save us from the criticism of others. I think pride is popular because it feels like it's going to keep us safe. If I'm proud, then no one's going to criticize, no one's going to judge, no one's going to condemn. But yikes, haven't we learned anything (laughs) from Lucifer? right and all you have to do is search through scripture and you can read over and over again that God opposes the proud pride is never ever the right posture for our hearts towards God pride is an identity issue pride takes this identity in whatever it has chosen to be prideful about so maybe for someone who's really beautiful Maybe the pride problem is the pride is in beauty, just like it was for Lucifer. Or maybe it is pride in your sexual identity. Maybe it's pride in your work, in your accomplishments, in your intelligence, or maybe in your family, or how great your kids are doing in college. Although, of course, we can feel proud and, and you know, feel delight and joy, that there's success in our life or that our children are doing well, right? To take pride in these things is to make them our identity. And then the problem with that becomes what happens when they're taken away? What happens if you lose that beauty to aging or an accident or disease? What happens when that kid that was the superstar in college washes out? Like taking pride in any of our earthly accomplishments or, hear me here, gifts, right? Because beauty, your body size, your genetics, those are gifts. Some of us are happier with those gifts than others, but they're gifts. And taking pride in them confuses our identity. So what should our posture be? Well, God gives grace to the humble, Our posture is not to be prideful or arrogant. And in fact, okay, so if Satan is the father of pride, the first one that showed us how to do it, I just want you to think about it this way. I'm going to, I'm treading very lightly here. But friend, pride is not of God. It's of the enemy, which means pride is demonic any kind of arrogance we have around our size, our shape, our weight loss accomplishments, our fitness accomplishments, if we have arrogance and pride around those things, it's not of God. It's demonic. Yikes. Oh, I'm sorry. I know that hurts. (laughs) Truth and love, right? Truth and love. But humility Humility is what God calls us to. Now, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is not low self-esteem or I'm the worst. I'm so awful. No, that's not what humility is. Humility, rather, I think C.S. Lewis says this, is thinking of yourself less. And when you think of yourself less... Imagine how your pride goes away, right? Because when you're proud, you're thinking of yourself a lot. Like, what what do I think of me? What do you think of me? What does the world think of me? But humility, the question is, what does God think of me? And every time we ask that question, oh boy, should we be humbled, right? Because I know his grace is sufficient, but I fall so short, so short. I am in desperate need of his grace because I just cannot get it right. I am not worthy. I need his grace so badly. And so whenever I look to him, I am humbled. And from that humble posture, think about how much better I'm able to love people. Right? Because pride really gets in the way of us loving others well. When I'm proud, and you know, pride is part of comparison too. a lot of times, I compare myself to you. And if I decide that I'm better than you, what's happening? Well, I'm proud. I'm, I'm puffing up with pride. And does that draw us together? No, it separates us. You don't want to be my friend. And I don't know if I want to be your friend, because I'm so much better than you. Right. And this is ugly, ugly stuff that's in our hearts. We'd rather not talk about it, but we have to friend because it's not of God and you are going to stay stuck in comparison for the rest of your life unless you deal with your pride issue. Because the other side of the pride is also thinking that you're the worst of the worst, right? Low self-esteem, high self-esteem, there are two sides of the same coin. I write all about this in my book, Compared to Who. I do a whole deep dive on low self-esteem, all the research there. Most scholars, most psychologists are backing way off of self-esteem. Although what's really interesting is my I use some AI tools to help me uh, when I'm writing show notes, and my AI tools Bring up self-esteem all the time, even though I never mention self-esteem <laughs> in any of my podcasts, at least not in a positive way. So it's intrinsic in what our culture believes and teaches. And yet, what is self-esteem? Esteeming oneself, thinking highly of oneself? Hmm. Kind of sounds like pride. Right? So pride and arrogance. Oh, it's so subtle right? If deception looked evil, like we wouldn't fall for it, right? Evil looks beautiful. Evil looks like freedom. The deception is always enticing. Oh, but the pain that comes with it is not. (laughs) The pain that comes with it is far, far from healthy. So self-esteem was a language we used a lot in the 80s and 90s. And like I said, go go read all about what I found about self-esteem and what a hoax it is. Uh, go read about that and compare to who. But now we talk about something called self-love. And oh boy, it's been painful to watch the self-love movement grow. What's interesting is I don't think in the 1980s self-love would have sold. I think in the 1980s, while they were still selling self-esteem, self-love would have sounded like it went too far. And in church, especially, I think the radar would have been up and church leaders would have said, no, 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 no self-love. Like in you know, in Timothy, it says, in the last days, men will be lovers of self, like self-love, not good. Right. But again, I, as I said, the way this works spiritually is so subtle and so so insidious so self-love is really a new age concept my friends Self-love, think about if you learned Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the triangle, although as I researched it, Maslow didn't really make it a triangle, (laughs) but someone put it in a triangle, right? The hierarchy of needs, like at the bottom is like your basic needs, like shelter and eating and, you know, safety, those kind of things. And as you work your way to the top of this triangle, this hierarchy, what you get to at the top is this concept of really it's transcendence it's enlightenment it's where so many other of your needs are met that you are finally able to figure out like how you're above it all how you're kind of godlike Right. Now, I didn't learn it exactly like that in elementary school. In fact, I think the, the focus was really more on like you got to get your basic needs met before you need friends and community and those kind of things. Right. But the new age movement has grown very strong. And within New Age, there are lots of teachings about this transcendental kind of concept, right? You've maybe heard of transcendental meditation. A lot of the New Age movements talk about how you're a God, I'm a God, we're all gods. And again, it's easy for us as Christians to be like, well, of course, that's not right. Of course, I'm not a God. And yet, how deceptive, how tricky is this concept of self-love, that really teaches us to love ourselves in such a way where we can trust our hearts and we can just go with however we feel and whatever our leading is, right? It starts as kind of a body image issue, right? Like, you know, oh, I'm desperate. I just need some help. I'm frustrated with my body. What do I need? Here's what you need. You need self-love. And then it kind of grows into... I know best for me, and I am Lord of me. And these are concepts that are, of course, contrary to the word of God. And it's also subtle. I really have felt like the only person (laughs) in a lot of Christian circles out there preaching against self-love. Allie Beth Stuckey came along a couple years ago. And really took a, a hard stab at it, which I really appreciated. And um, you know, Allie Beth always points out that as Christians, we are to die to self. We are to deny self. Like self-love is such an anathema to what Jesus did for us and sacrificing himself for us. Right? Like self-love doesn't fit into the gospel story gospel story is love for others genuine love you know love that would lay down its life for someone else and so friend as it comes to your body image issues let me encourage you self-love not the way out no pride not the way out Oh, actually, let me touch on one more thing with self-love. Some of you are thinking, but what about Matthew? I've heard this verse so many times, you know, that you've got to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself in order to love my neighbor as myself. Don't I have to love myself? But let me draw your attention to the verse right before that one where it says there are two commandments. Friend, those two commandments are love God, love your neighbor. If there was a secret commandment to love yourself, that would be a third commandment, right? And I'm pretty sure God can count. So why does he only say there's two? Well, I think it's because we already have enough love for self. I mean, let's be honest. When I walk into a room, I'm, my first instinct is not to worry about everyone else in that room. My first instinct is to worry about me, what do people think of me? What do I need in this crowd? You know Do they have refreshments that I like? Will I find a comfortable seat? You know, it's me, 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 me. In fact, I would say the biggest battle in most of our lives is the battle to give to others out of a place where we feel like we don't have enough ourselves. The biggest battle we have is not in thinking of ourselves more and loving ourselves more, the biggest battle we have is in trying to actually love others as we already love ourselves. And then beyond that, trying to love God, that's a different level altogether, right? And the only way I believe that we can actually love others as ourselves is to get that first one in place, to truly love God, like Deuteronomy says, with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our being. Right When we can get to that place where we are so sold out and surrendered to God, where we have so much genuine love for him, so much genuine appreciation for what he has done for us, what he has given us. When we see every part of our life as a grace, like I talk about in my book, The Burden of Better, when we're not comparing ourselves to each other or trying to better ourselves so we can be better than other people or so that other people will think more of me And instead are sold out to just, I want them to think more of you, Jesus. I don't care what they think of me. I just want to love them well. And oh, by the way, when you love people well, they actually do think well of you, like much better than they would think of you, even if you looked better, right? No one cares about what you weigh when you're loving them well. Let me just throw that out there. But the only way we can fulfill that second command is through believing God Believing his word, loving him, trusting him, surrendering to him. And then, then I have the capacity to love others well. What steals our identity is this concept that I've got to make myself great and then I have something to give. It's a demonic concept. I've got to look great and then I can do something for God. Demonic concept. Your identity is secure. All you have to do is love God and love others. You don't have to make yourself great. You don't have to make yourself better. You don't have to do one self-improvement thing. But friend, we've got to get over ourselves. <laughs> and when we're humble, when we can surrender our identity to Christ, that's spiritual warfare. And that's when we stop the enemy deadness tracks. It is very difficult for the demonic to win <laughs> when when your heart posture is that of humility when you're just like, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. Oh man, the demons have to flee. Satan has no place in a heart that is postured like that. If you really want to do spiritual warfare, get humble. If you really want to see God change your heart and your life, get humble. Oh, I'm not saying it's easy. <laughs> oh, we think pride keeps us safe. We think self-love keeps us safe. But no, friends. Jesus is the only one who can truly keep us safe. So if your identity has been wrapped up in how you look, what you weigh, how fit you are, how many men notice how beautiful you are, how you feel about how you look, I call that my truth. Any of these things, my friend, these are stolen identities. This is not your identity in Christ. This is an identity that the enemy is trying to bestow on you, but it's not your identity. Your identity is not in your body. Your identity is in the glory of the Lord. And because of Jesus, we get a taste of that glory. But that glory is not for us. That glory is for him. Right. This isn't about making ourselves great. It's about making him great. And if our purpose is anything other than making him great, oh, we're not on team Jesus. If our purpose is making ourselves great, oh, we've lost our true identity in Christ. We've lost our way. Friend, this is tough stuff. It's stuff I've wrestled personally. So there's no shame, condemnation, or guilt coming your way from what I'm saying at all. These are the words of experience, my own wrestling match. I've written about a lot of this in my forthcoming book, uh, which is coming out in December. It's called The 40-Day Body Image Workbook. I talk all about this. Friend, the struggle is real, but so is God. So is the solution. If you're wrestling pride, if you're struggling with the whole humility concept, if you really want just a little bit of self-love because you think it would make everything feel better, let's work together. Friend, let's take my take my new online course. I promise you it will put you on a different path. It will help you get these identity issues straight in your head so that you can be free. Well, I thank you for listening today. I really hope something has helped you stop comparing and start living. Bye-bye. Before you go, learn more about this conference I'll be speaking at this October. You
1: are more than a number on a scale, more than a dress size, more than the reflection you're unhappy with every time you look in the mirror. In our world of constant comparison and unattainable beauty standards, it's easy to forget that you are God's masterpiece and that you have been wonderfully and perfectly made. Learn how to break free of your body image battle for good at the 5th Annual In His Image Body Image Conference for Teen Girls and Women, October 14th from 10 to 4 at Northwest Bible Church in Dallas. Come and gather with other women for a day of worship and discussion of the topic of body image from a biblical worldview you'll hear from licensed professional counselors, registered dietitians, authors, podcasters, dads, husbands, and clients who will share truth and encouragement that will inspire you to embrace who He created you to be. Find more information and register for the In His Image Body Image Conference for Teen Girls and Women at wonderfullymadenutritioncounseling.com
0: slash events. The to Show is proud to be part of the Life Audio Podcast Network. For more great Christian podcasts, go to lifeaudio.com.
1: Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast,
0: helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.